0: Chapter 5 of The Merry-Go-Round by W. Somerset Maugham. This Libravax recording is in the public domain. Presently, all Miss Lace guests, except Frank Harrow, bade her good night, and he showed no intention of following the example. You don't want to go to bed yet, do you? she asked the dean. Let us go into the library. Here Frank took from a drawer his pipe, and helping himself from a tobacco jar placed in readiness, sat down. Miss Leigh, noticing Bella's slight look of surprise, explained, Frank keeps a pipe here and makes me buy his favourite tobacco. It's one of the advantage of old age that you can sit into the small hours of the morning and talk with young men. But when he too was gone, Miss Leigh, an old-fashioned hostess solicitous for her guest's comfort, accompanied Bella to her room. I hope you enjoyed my little party, she said. Very much replied Bella but why do you ask mrs Castilian she's dreadfully common isn't she my dear answered miss Ley ironically her husband is the most important person in Dorsetshire and her own family has a whole page in the gentleman's bible or the landed gentry i shouldn't have thought she was county said Bella seriously she seemed to me very, very vulgar she is very vulgar answered miss ley but it's the sort of vulgarity which is a mark of the highest breeding to talk too loud and to laugh like a bus-driver to use the commonest slang and to dress outrageously are all sides of the grande dame often in bond street i see women with painted cheeks and dyed hair dressed in a manner which even a courtesan would think startling and i recognise the leaders of london fashion good night don't expect to see me at breakfast that is a meal which only the angels of heaven should eat in company miss Lanton sat down as though she had no wish to go to bed don't go just yet i want to know all about mr kent miss ley following her friend's example made herself comfortable in an armchair. once miss dwaris asserted that the virtuous person as a matter of discipline should do every day two things which he disliked whereupon miss ley answered flippantly that then she must be on the direct road to everlasting happiness for within the twenty-four hours she invariably performed a brace of actions which she thoroughly detested she got up and she went to bed now therefore in no hurry to go to her own room she proceeded to tell miss what she knew of Basil Kent. In truth, it was not strange that he had attracted Bella's attention, for his appearance was unusual. He managed to wear the conventional evening dress of an Englishman with becoming grace, but one felt, such was his romantic air, he should by rights have borne the armour of a Florentine knight. His limbs were slender and well made, his hands white and comely, and his brown curly hair, worn somewhat long, set off the fine colour of his face. The dark eyes, thin cheeks, and full-central mouth were set into a passionate wistfulness of expression, which recalled again those faces in early Italian pictures wherein the spirit and the flesh seem ever to fight a restless battle. To them, the earth is always beautiful, rich with love and warfare, with poetry in deep blue skies. But yet, everywhere is disillusion also, and the dark silence of the cloister. Even amid the painted turbulence of court or cam, whispers its irresistible appeal. None looking at Basil Kent could imagine that any great ease of life awaited him. Through his brown eyes appeared a soul at the same time sensual and aesthetic impulsive and chivalrous yet so sensitive that the storms and buffets of the world to which inevitably he exposed himself must assault him with double violence well he is the son of Lady Wizard said Miss lane what cried Bella you don't mean the woman about whom there was that dreadful case five years ago yes he was then at Oxford, where Frank and he were bosom friends. It was through Frank that I first knew him. His father, a cousin of the present Kent of Usley, died when he was a child, and Basil was brought up by his grandmother, for his mother married Lord Visart very shortly after her husband's death. Even now she is a beautiful woman. In those days she was perfectly gorgeous, a photograph was in all the shop windows her prime coincided with the fashion for young men to buy the portraits of celebrated beauties they did not know and the chastest women thought it no shame of their pictures to be exposed in every stationer's shop or to decorate the chimney-piece of a platonic counter-jumper at that time lady visard's doings were minutely chronicled in the papers that concerned themselves with such things and her parties were thronged with all the fashion of london she was to be seen at every race meeting surrounded by admirers of course she had a box at the opera and at homburg attracted the most august attention did mr kent ever see her asked bella he used to spend part of his holidays with her and she dazzled him as she dazzled everyone else frank told me that basil simply worshipped his mother he has always had a passion for beauty and was immensely proud of her magnificent appearance i used at one time occasionally to meet her at parties and she struck me as one of the most splendid majestic women i ever saw one felt that something like that must have looked madame de montespan was she fond of her son in her way naturally she didn't want him bothering around her she kept her youth marvellously lord vizard was younger than herself and she didn't much care to produce a boy who was very nearly grown up so she was quite pleased that old mrs kent whom she detested should look after him but when he came to stay she filled his pockets with money took him to the play every night and thoroughly amused him i dare say she too was pleased with his good looks for at sixteen he must have been more beautiful than a greek but if ever he showed any signs of inconvenient attachment i doubt whether lady vizard encouraged him from harrow he went to oxford and frank who was a very acute observer told me that then basil was the peculiarly innocent boy absurdly open and frank, who never kept a secret from anybody, and said without thinking, ingeniously, everything that came into his head. Of course, scandal for a good many years had been busy with Lady Vizard, her extravagance was notorious, and Vizard was known to be neither rich nor generous, but his wife did everything that cost a great deal of money, and her emeralds were obviously worth a fortune. Even Basil cannot have helped seeing how many masculine friends she had, though so perhaps, when he was spending with her the occasional week to which he looked forward so intensely, she took pains that nothing too flaunting should come to his eyes. And when strange gentlemen slipped sovereigns into his hand, he pocketed them under the impression that his own merit had earned them. And now I must go to bed. Miss Lay, with a tantalising smile, rose from her chair, but Bella stopped her. Don't be catish, Mary. You know I want to hear the rest of the story. Are you aware that it's past one o'clock? I don't care. You must finish it now. Miss Lay, having created this small diversion, sat down again. Proceeding, not at all against her will, with the recital, Bathurst's only vanity was his mother, and he talked of her incessantly, taking a manifest pride in her social success and the admiration which everywhere she excited. He would have staked his life on her immaculate character, and when the crash came he was simply overwhelmed. You remember the case. It was one of those in which a prudish English public takes keen delight. Every playcard announced in huge letters that for the especial delectation of the middle classes, a divorce in high life was being fought at the law courts in which there were no less than four correspondents. It appeared that Lord Wizard, chiefly because he was frightened of his wife's extravagance, had at last filed a petition in which he named Lord Ernest Torrens, Colonel Room. Mr. Norman Wynne and somebody else. The pair evidently had not, for some time, enjoyed great connubial felicity. Lady Visart brought a counter-petition, accusing her husband of philandering with her own maid and with a certain Mrs. Platter, a lady who inhabited a flat in Shaftesbury Avenue. The case was fought on both sides with the greatest acrimony. And a crowd of witnesses testified the behaviour which one at least hopes is unusual in the houses of the great but of course you read the details in the church times bella i remember it was reported in the standard answered miss Lanton, as i read nothing Virtuous creature said miss lay with a thin smile the average englishman would never keep his respect for titled persons if the reports of proceedings in the divorce court did not periodically give him some insight into their private life, anyhow, the things of which Lord and Lady Visart accused one another were enough to make the hair of suburban pater families stand right on end, Miss Ley paused for a moment and then, with calm deliberation, as though she had given this matter the attention of a lifetime and carefully weighed all sorts. Proceeded. A divorce, you know, can be managed in two ways. Respectably, when both parties are indifferent or afraid, and no more is said than is essential for the non-intervention and a subsequent stage of that absurd gentleman, the king's proctor, and vindictively, when in their eagerness to be better the person whom at some previous period, they solemnly vowed to love to the end of their days. They care not how much mud is thrown at themselves. Lady Visart made a practice of detesting her husbands, and she loathed the second far more because he had not the grace to die like the first. Four years after the marriage, his penuriousness, ill temper, and sobriety were dragged into the light of day and he brought servants to testify to his wife's most private habits, produced letters, which he had intercepted, and subpoenaed tradesmen to swear by whom accounts for jewellery and clothes had been settled. Lord Visard engaged the cleverest criminal lawyer of the time. Over two days, his wife with unparalleled wit, courage, and resource bore a cross-examination, which would have ruined a weaker woman it was partly on this account because they admired the good fight she made partly because it seemed impossible that such an imposing creature should have done the quite odious things of which the husband accused her but still more because they thought there was precious little to choose between kettle and pot that the jury found the charges not proven and lady wizard in a manner Remained mistress of the position. The rest you can guess for yourself. No, I can't marry. Go on. No word had reached Bustle that proceedings were to be taken, and his first knowledge of the affair came with the morning paper and his eggs and bacon. He could scarcely believe his eyes, and he read the report with incredulity, changing quickly to dismay and horror. The news, dazed and crushed him a hundred trifles he had seen but never noticed came to his mind and he knew that his mother was no better than the painted harlot who sells her body for a five-pound note but how do you know all this mary asked bella doubtfully you're not inventing it are you i read the papers answered miss ley with some asperity frank told me a good deal and my common sense arrest. I flatter myself; I have a certain knowledge of human nature. And if Basil didn't feel what I tell you, he should have. But I shall never finish my story if you keep on interrupting me. I beg your pardon," said Bella humbly. "Pray go on. Frank, you know, is somewhat older than Basil, and at that time was in Oxford, taking his amby He found the poor boy overcome with shame. Inches like a stricken beast, to hide himself from all strange eyes, but Frank is made of sterner stuff, he persuaded him to go about as though nothing had happened, and even to die in whore as usual. What for the one would not have been so very difficult to the other was unendurable. Basil imagined that every one stared at him as though he were thin and clean. He had bragged a good deal of his wonderful parent and he thought now that all his words must be scornfully repeated the papers continued their edifying story witnesses told shameful things and Basil, haggard and sleepless could not conceal his torment frank had set him an ordeal beyond his strength and without a word to anyone he fled to london after the trial he went to see lady vizard but what happened then i do not know he never returned to Oxford. At that time they were recruiting for the Imperial Yeomanry, and Basil, passing by chance through St. James's Park, saw the men drilling. He wished to get out of England, where everyone seemed to point at him with scorn. And here was an opportunity. He enlisted, and a month later sailed for South Africa. As a trooper? asked Miss Lantern. Yes, I believe he distinguished himself, for they offered him a commission, but this he refused and was given instead the medal for distinguished conduct in the field. He remained there three years and did not return to England till the last batch of yeomanry was brought home. Then he settled down to read for the bar and was called last year. Does he ever see his mother, do you know? I believe never. He has a small income, about three hundred a year, and on that in a modest way, is able to live. I think he has only gone to the bar as a sort of form, for he means to write. You probably never saw the little book of self-African sketches which he brought our last year. Impressions of scenery and studies of character. He had no particular success, but, to my mind, showed a good deal of promise. I remember an account of some battle about which there was an uncommon swing and dash. He's working at an novel now, and I dare say some day we'll write a very clever book. Do you think he will ever be famous? Miss Ley shrugged her shoulders. You know, to achieve great success in literature you must have a certain coarseness in your composition, and that I don't think Basil has. Really, to move and influence man, you must have complete understanding. And you can only get that if you have in you something of the common clay of humanity. But now I really must go to bed. You're such a chatterbox, Bella. I believe you would keep me up all night. This was somewhat hard on Miss Lantern, who, for an hour, had barely opened her mouth. End of chapter 5